This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Shake them ropes, Jeff Hawkins, Chris Novembrino, back here. This is both my favorite week and the worst week in both wrestling and sports uh, radio show slash podcast, Chris. It's it's the best because you get that week after Royal Rumble and you you can see where they're going on the road to WrestleMania and you can adequately analyze your takes from the Royal Rumble. And if you want to hear my hot takes from the Royal Rumble, I was on the post show on fightful.com cheap plug, but it's also the worst week in sports media and wrestling media in wrestling media. You have all these clickbait people trying to get subscriptions for this, that they're going to have all the scoops on WrestleMania. So they start doing things like every person you've ever heard coming back for the rumble might be there and if one shows up, yep, see, I got sources. Look at me. You know, it was like, I've named 16 people. I've heard things. I'm not guaranteeing anything. I've heard they were backstage. And then if one shows up, they all of a sudden have sources. But in real sports media, Chris, this is the worst week because this is Super Bowl week and this is Radio Row at Super Bowl. And I don't know how much, how much sports radio you listen to. But it's always the same and it's always dreadful. You get all these sports, local sports radio shows in a convention center with a table and they have their, they have their, they have their little radio show tablecloth on there. And they all have names like Slappy and the Rabbit Goat on the ticket, 730 the Blitz. And if, if it's a West Coast Super Bowl, they're in there. The morning drive guys are in there at three in the morning. And there's nobody there, but no matter where it is, all this is, is they're trying to do their show with all these ex and current football players walking around the convention center who are there to advertise a product and they get them in there and it's always the same. And it's always, yeah, man, remember this time in Super Bowl blank when you did blank? Yeah, man. Okay. What are you here to plug? I'm here to plug rally catheters they go in smooth you don't need to do anything and then it's like and then they get okay how do you feel about the big game well i think if they just stick to their game plan and run the ball all this non-analysis analysis it is it is the absolutely worst week just local radio who all think they should be national you know doing morning radio sports zoo crap i i hate it i hate it chris i hate it yeah i'm not a big super bowl guy i don't have a ton to <laughs> offer on this i don't like the morning zoo stuff i don't listen to any of that at one point eons ago on don't worry about the government we had a gimmick called ronnie and the nove where we did a parody <laughs> of a morning zoo thing and my my tagline as the nove was wizzle wazzle woozle it, it, all these all these shows are blank and blank. For a while out here in Dallas, they were trying to make Michael Irvin a regular fixture on oh, sports God. radio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the ESPN <laughs> affiliate out here 
when I was back in college, so this would be like the aughts, Michael Irvin was all over your ESPN radio, and the Michael Irvin show was exceedingly mediocre, and they put all of their talent on it to make it work. Oh, yeah. No, but they, they do this in D.C. and L.A. all the time. They get the guy who was a personality and is occasionally a personality on TV and think that he can do local radio three hours a day, and he just doesn't have the discipline to do it. Um, it's tough to be on a microphone and talking that amount. It's a practiced skill. Even the people who you don't like who do talk radio, if they don't you know, align with their views, one thing you have to respect with any of them is that talking on a microphone for that length of time and being modestly coherent is a practice skill. Could you, I did this earlier in the week, but could you imagine a WrestleMania radio row? Where every podcaster comes in with a table and there's all these. Why are you trying to give me a panic attack when we haven't gotten into any of the wrestling yet? God, no. <laughs> I'm cheap. I never want to go to that. Keep me away. What are you plugging today? <laughs> Planters cheese balls. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um. So I, I like this because th- we've we've given our any of our rumble takes that we have time to stew in the slow cooker and these are the flavors have now melded chris and we can now kind of give from up above a nice view of of what we thought of the rumble what the stories they were telling and what they're going to be doing for wrestlemania um overall i enjoyed this rumble pay-per-view i just i just loathe a lot of the storytelling aspects in a lot of the matches they were telling because it'd be like this is a great match and here comes the dumb ending and you're just like, oh God. And then it's kind of doubled down. Here's the one the one that really stuck out to me. Becky Lynch. The story of Becky Lynch going into this Oscar match was she was trying to beat the one person who could who who she hasn't beat yet, right? Okay, so we're in this match, and she gets knocked silly by Asuka, and the referee is basically holding Asuka back to keep her from um, finishing off the match and getting the pinfall. The, yeah, yes. yeah. No, I, I mean Becky had lost that match, and the referee was saving Becky right there in that yeah, spot. Exactly. And then Becky grabs a feet before she, before he's about to wave off the match. Gets up, beats Asuka. Okay, great. And then they put it over as she finally overcame the one person she couldn't beat. And, and you then, had that little cartoon spot where Asuka's cigar explodes in yes. her mouth, so to speak, which was. Silly. I, I mean, she did a good job delivering it as a slapstick spot, but that was not what that moment called for. And then on Monday, they they come to her for the post-Rumble um, thoughts. And she goes in and she goes, you know what? I had my doubts, but I don't know why I had any doubts. I could beat any of these dopes anytime I want. It was such a HBK heel promo, cocky heel promo. And I'm just like, Hold on here. The ref saved you in that match. Now you're coming off as this cocky, you know, I'm the I'm the goat, which is I'm better than thing. everyone else I'm on this roster by else, a lot. And you're the baby face here. And I'm just like, this is why people like me who can't turn off their brains leave. Because I'm just like what it makes what are it really hard to emotionally invest in this storyline. 
when the next week you're going to do something that clearly undermines the story you were telling. Just tell the story. Don't think about what the audience is going to react to and... They do this. This is her greatest challenge, and she somehow found a way to overcome it and make sure that that's the arc that you are telling. Because (laughs) when she got knocked out in the middle of the ring, we got away from her overcoming the odds. She now had been overcome by them. Yeah, just let her struggle a bit while Asuka's trying to beat on her, and then she overcomes it and, and, you know, kicks her in the face when the mist is supposed to come. She ducks the mist? Yes. Something like that, yeah. I just, I watched that, I went, what are they. And and yet the people, well, you're going to cheer because she's a lone wolf and she can do it by herself and stone cold Becky Lynch. And you're just like, no, no, we want to cheer for her. She's fine. Don't don't make her abrasive about getting a win that the referees gave to her. I just put my hands in my head and went, nope, don't like it. Yeah, and that was hot off the heels <laughs> of the Bray Wyatt and Daniel Bryan match, which had similar issues. Great match. I Great really match. enjoyed that match. Loved yeah, it was a ma- really, and, really good match until the finish. Do, they had to do the horror movie ending where uh, the 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 the, uh, the sacrificial uh, guy, while the woman gets away, you know, I'm going to do one last brave attack on the monster. And he does, and then just well, I have a problem with the resurfacing of the fiend's pain threshold, which I thought had something to do. Oh, the ballot in the face? (laughs) No, I thought it had something to do with the red light. That the fact that he had that the red light was on made the fiend kind of impervious to pain. That's why Seth Rollins couldn't do anything when he was hitting all those curb stomps on the fiend. But Daniel Bryan's having a completely different match with the fiend so you're like okay i guess maybe the rules are a little bit different and then all of a sudden the rules flick back on again Uh, there is it's hard to kind of imagine what the outdoor is to explain the random resurfacing of the fiend's seeming imperviousness to pain yeah i will not trash bray Wyatt at all for his uh, for anything he did in this match because having to work like that in a mask where you can barely breathe Brother, I I got nothing but love for that dude. That that takes that takes a lot of cardio to do. Basically, you're breathing through like a pinhole. <laughs> I I I, uh, I re- no, I really liked that match. I liked the violence in it. Um, other things that that caught my eye. <clears throat> if in the women's rumble, they put Bianca over strong as hell. She eliminated eight people. And and that was that was the story. It's like okay, great. And then they just have Shayna Baszler come out and eliminate eight people like it's nothing. And tire. And then Charlotte wins. What? What? What are you? I don't care if you're gonna have Charlotte win. That's fine. But don't build up Bianca as this monster and then just have someone else come out and do the exact same thing because you lose any kind of any kind of character development you built for Bianca. And I thought that part was awesome. Again, I didn't think Shayna needed to be in this match because she won the match at Survivor Series. All she has to do is walk out and challenge whoever. But but it was just weird. And apparently Shayna was originally supposed to win this, and they late in the week decided to put this on Charlotte, who I don't think needs it. Um, no, I, I don't think she needs it, which is really my only argument against giving it to her. It's not that she can't have a WrestleMania caliber match. Of course she can. But I think you know if you put it on someone like... Bianca or Shayna Baszler, what you can then do over the next several weeks here on the road to WrestleMania is have 
an introduction of either one of those two talents and have them in increasing high-profile matches going up against high-profile talents and really build them up to that match at WrestleMania. Oh, you're not so hot, Bianca Belair. You're not so hot, Shayna Baszler. And then she goes through, you know, Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville. And then she goes through maybe even Asuka or beats Kyrie Sane. Something like that where you slowly start building this person up until they get to their match against, let's say, Becky Lynch at WrestleMania. I do like the idea of Charlotte and Rhea Ripley. I do. Um, I don't know what show you put it on, though. Do you put that on Mania or do you put that on the takeover on on Saturday? Because now that NXT is a major cable show, are you going to now take away kind of that specialness of takeover to then put NXT matches on this bloated you know, seven hour WrestleMania card. Yeah. And also, I mean, the question with the Charlotte versus Rhea Ripley thing is who's the baby face and who's the heel. And I think they want, they'd want to make Rhea, I think the baby face in that, but I think she works better as a heel. I think they both work great as heels. The one thing that I've been dying to see, and I've, I've put this before when I was kind of, basically begging WWE to sign Madison Eagles for like a two month run is we never get to see Charlotte work from underneath. A lot of times, everybody that she fights, she's bigger than, and I think Rhea Ripley size wise could be that heel that makes, you know, that, but, but they've also just have Charlotte out here cutting woo promos and I'm the queen and I'm the best. So, and they, they just have a really hard real. time getting her as a baby face. I, yeah. I, I don't think that they do a great job presenting Charlotte as a baby face, much the same way they're having a hard time presenting Bailey as a heel. They've yeah. just never really found <laughs> the note for that. Yeah. Naomi's back. That's the other note I had. I, I'm not the biggest Naomi fan in the world. I'm not. There's nothing particularly I don't like about her. It, it, I think the glow gimmick's great. I, I think she's that, a great entrance. She is yeah, a she's great a great entrance. But she also has pretty good matches. And like people like the gimmick. I I I, I get that there's something missing with her. I know. Oh, no. I know where I'll, you're I'll coming tell you what, from. I'll tell you what what it is for me at least. I like her. I like her moves. I like that she likes to do a lot of for lack of a better term, flippy-doo, gymnastic-type things. And she has the skill to do that. Yes. And when it goes great, it's great. When she's off by a little bit, which she is a lot, it becomes a battle of wills sometimes watching her. And that's my only issue. I think think she's going to beat Aunt Pam at WrestleMania. Or in the Elimination Chamber. I don't know which one, but she's getting another one of these... Hey, WrestleMania is in Florida. She's getting another two month run or something like that. I, 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 I was. Yeah. And also you want to do the glow entrance at WrestleMania. I think that that's a much more interesting yes. entrance than doing like Bailey's entrance, whatever no, that I, is. I, I agree. Um, yeah. And, and on that, I'm absolutely flabbergasted that they did not put the belt on Lacey Evans. They yeah, gave her right, so much for the Hogan push that everyone was talking about last well, week. They gave her a national commercial, which aired like almost before the match with her kids. It was on the pre-show. I don't know if it was on the main show, but I know it was on the pre-show. And I'm like, well, here it is. They've turned her into a marketing thing that WWE can move on to. And they just beat her clean as a sheet, even though they were pulling the tights. I just went, okay, that's do they like money? You know, it's not that I, I, I think Lacey Evans is a, 
is a top tier talent, but I thought she was a top tier marketing type of thing that you could do. Yeah, she's and probably you, more money than Bailey is, especially and you do in this the, iteration. Yeah, and you do the thing with the kid and you bring her out to watch and you <laughs> beat her in front and you're just like, do they do they want people to like their their good guys or do they just want tough? I'm here. Now, if this leads to Lacey coming back as like a Liberty Bell type character, a little bit more less Southern Bell and more superhero, I'm good with that. You know, glom some of Santana Garrett's costuming if you want, because, you know, they're not going to do much with her down on NXT. You know, it, it, it was just I, I like one of the idea things. of her trying to be a, a superhero for her kid. I think that that's kind of a more natural babyface angle. Right. I mean, but they didn't do right that now. with Bailey either. Bailey Bailey should have been a hero to all children too, and she wasn't. So yeah, yeah. This is a little more one on one though. Like that, yeah. Lacey Evans is trying to be a superhero specifically for her child, which also then lends itself to if you want to turn her heel at some point as well. In in the men's rumble, I loved the Brock story mostly. Um, my two gripes: one's a gripe, one's a man. I wish they had done this. I wish they had just let the Minnesota stretching crew eliminate one person by double teaming them and then have like Shelton try and get Brock out only to be foiled as yes. opposed to the quick thing. Cause boy, did I love everything about that. I, I loved Heyman going, yeah. And like just have them beat one guy and Shelton and Shelton, Shelton the is the one who makes the mistake. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Because and, and just just that one team, it looks like it's all great. Then Shelton has has the cojones to try and get Brock out. Because overall, I don't like I don't like the tag teams turn on each other when there's like twenty people left. You know, wait until wait until you're the final two, and then go at it. My gripe is if Drew McIntyre's the guy, and it looks like he is, because holy mackerel, on Raw they have him beat a tag team. By himself, which is the worst kind of build. I hate that. You all know I hate that. But why have Ricochet punch Lesnar in the balls to help Drew get him out? Why not just have Drew get him out? I bet you that spot was added late in the week when people realized that Ricochet was made to look like a goober, and that yeah. became a chattering point on the internet in the week leading up to the pay-per-view. I'm sure Ricochet, not pleased that that's how his character is being used, to just be fed to Brock Lesnar. And so the thought was, well, we'll help him get some of his heat back, brother, and he will punch Brock in the balls, and then Drew McIntyre will eliminate Brock Lesnar. Yeah, it's like they thought, well, we need to protect... Brock a little here and we need to give Ricochet a little bit of shine after that whole thing. No, you don't. You don't because Drew is the guy. And in the follow-up, I don't mind, you know, the, the tag team thing is, is a personal thing that I absolutely loathe. You know that. But then to just F5 him afterwards, I, I hate that they, they, they have to do the Brock Brock gives a guy the F5 and how will he ever think of a way to beat Brock after this type of build whereas Drew is a huge dude that you could build into a monster in these 8 weeks or whatever it is before WrestleMania just make him a monster and have the two monsters never touch and then just then we're hyped for that match and you don't get that by having him take advantage of a weakened Brock in the Royal Rumble and then getting F5 the night after. 
Yeah, I, I had a bunch of problems with this. I like Drew McIntyre as the choice. I just, part of the issue here is so much emphasis on Brock at the expense of everything else. Really? I, I, I thought we, I thought Dude, it was Dude, probably- I think there's been, there's been a lot of Brock Lesnar over the last five years here. I, yeah. I, it's, just, it's just been, Brock is this centerpiece focus, and it becomes really hard to build other characters because Brock sucks. So, because Brock sucks so much oxygen out of the room. I understand that. I, and I think part of the problem is you thought they were building people to beat Brock, and then they never did. Like, I mean, this goes back as far as far as the beating Undertaker and ending the streak thing at that WrestleMania where you thought, okay, the next guy to beat Brock is the guy, and you thought it was going to be Roman, and then they just never did it. And then you thought it was going to be Braun, and they didn't do it. It's a little bit like... Uh, a little bit the like, heat transfer should have happened a couple few years ago. Yes, and, and I now am skeptical that even Drew McIntyre is going to get a heat oh, transfer too. off of this. Yeah, I am too. I, I, it's one of those things where you watch it and you go, you you can now see the wheels turning. Where it's like, well, we beat the guys that we thought were going to be the guys, and they're not strong anymore, and we can't build them up quite yet. And we're looking around, and we can't see anybody we want to build up quite to that level yet. So we're just going to keep Brock powerful throughout these years. I, I understand your concern. That said, I like strong Brock. So <laughs> I mean, know. but Braun Strowman should have been the guy. If not Seth Rollins, if not Roman Reigns, you had Braun Strowman. So you can say you like strong Brock, but part of that, in order to consider that as part of the equation, you have to go, you have mid-Carter Braun Strowman comedy figure, and is that really maximizing that guy's talent level? No, that's true. I, I, I No, your, your point is well made. I'm just, it's it's one of those things where I'm, I'm still kind of, I, I'm still uncertain as to whether or not I, I think that uh, <laughs> Brock has a Charlotte problem, because my problem with Charlotte, as I put earlier, is she's like a spice that you can use a little bit of, and it helps flavor the dish, but if you add just a little bit too much of it, it overpowers the dish. Kind of like how um, in this the main is kind of what Jericho is doing over at AEW. A little bit, yeah. Like the main event last year did not need Charlotte in it, or it didn't even have Charlotte in. It, now that I think about, it. but it didn't need her involvement in the build for Ronda and Becky. We were all in on Ronda and Becky, and they just kind of shoehorned her in there. You know, Brock is kind of now Br- Brock is killed a lot of goodwill with a lot of people who wanted Kofi to be a guy. I get that, but you know it, it's one of those things. I, I have to. I had I have forgotten to think about that. This. Throw that log on the fire as well. Yes, here we go. <laughs> have a little fire, scarecrow. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, he kills a lot of goodwill because you know they're not going to let him beat a guy like Daniel Bryan. You know that they're not going to let him beat. I mean, they're not going to let a guy like Daniel Samoa Bryan Joe. Beat him. Like he didn't even have a really good yeah. match with Samoa Joe. Yeah. Oh God, I forgot. I had forgotten about that match. You're exactly right. Yeah, that was shortened to the point too, because we had to keep Brock strong, you know. Right. So when you say you like strong Brock, you have to remember that there's just a there's a lot of trade offs with that that have been made along the way, and you have to really weigh those. And if you think that they would be a better company if maybe you had a stronger Samoa Joe and a stronger Braun Strowman. Two quick hits from the Rumble, and we'll move on to Worlds Collide. Unless you have anything else, I will uh, I will put these in um, MVP. After after years of speculating that he was coming back, along with it was always the same people. It was always uh, Chris Masters, John Morrison, Carlito, and MVP might be in the Rumble this year. MVP gets a final in. 
uh, and has his last match with WWE per himself against Rey Mysterio. Uh, I miss the tunnel, but I love MVP. I always love that character. I love the gimmick. I, I always thought they should have gone a little bit harder with the commentary on the superstar athlete, prissy athlete who thought he was bigger than the sport he was in type of thing to the point where I think they should have just belted him with the big belt and have, Oh yeah, that would have been great and have him be a heel and have him demand things and have writers and and things like that. I I thought I I loved the character and he was great in it. And then they turned him babyface and ruined him. I thought, I thought heel MVP is one of the best things ever. I also really like him as a manager type figure. I think he found a really interesting second act for himself when he was over in TNA. Oh, yeah. And he was the champion, but then he got injured and then ended up really being a mouthpiece. And I thought he was great as a mouthpiece. You know what? He might be like the Pope in NWA. He could actually do that for some guys if they wanted to. But again, they don't really have a lot of interest in managers over there. No, I think he could also be really interesting on commentary, too. So if he's done with doing wrestling, I I think that there's still things for him to do in the business. Reminds me, maybe we'll hit Tom Phillips, maybe we won't. But Tom Phillips did yeoman's work this weekend, doing Worlds Collide. Yeah, he was on everything this week. Doing the Raw. Yeah. (laughs) How does he keep his voice? I, I he mean, didn't. Gets, if you heard, if you listen yeah, it's to the true. Raw, he was he actually was dying. Lo- no, and he was really losing it on two hundred five live. I believe that was like one of the last things he had to tape. But I was listening to him a little bit there, and he sounded very hoarse. Oh, he sounded terrible on Raw too. So, um, and the one thing I'll, I'll get your thoughts on this: the uh, Santina Morella spot in the women's rumble. Did you have a problem with it, or did you not? Yeah, I think it's totally unnecessary. I I, I don't see uh. I think that it's tasteless. Uh, I'm not going to get like necessarily political about it, although I understand people who, who would. I just I see no point in that gimmick resurfacing anymore these days. Yeah, I I appreciate the people who don't mind it because it really. Number one, it's unrepentantly stupid. And number two, they were basically telling you it was unrepentantly stupid by the fact that he got in and got out there. Yes. But but I think for me, I think the underlying damage is more important in that these women want to be viewed on the same level as the men. You've already screwed with their money in the bank by having James Ellsworth be the first guy to climb up and get the briefcase to hand it to Carmella. Yeah, on some level, it's undermining, right? Like if you had, yeah. uh, if you had, I don't know, Bailey come out and eliminate the Viking Raiders or something like that, you would say that that's undermining to the Viking Raiders, not necessarily like even like on a gender level, but just to have someone come out and upset the power dynamics in the universe like that. I think it it hurts the legitimacy of what you're trying to present. Um, and then the other thing with the Santina is it's kind of like how I look at other news and like politics events. you got to like look at them in the context of what has been the general trend with this person or this organization. And WWE, over the last month or so, has had a real hard time presenting in serious ways people who are gay or lesbian. Um, and having Santina come out fits into this narrative of the not great way they presented the Lana and Liv Morgan stuff. The not great way that they've handled Sonya Deville. There's just a bunch of 
lingering issues here with this subject matter. And as such, I think the Santina Morella thing was very ill-advised. Right. I didn't mind like the, the, the other stupid spot in there. But it was for comedy and was kind of cool. The Mandy Rose Otis spot had no problem with that. Oh, yeah, that's fine. fine. That's fine. And that's a longer term wrestling storyline that they've been telling for weeks going into this and will be telling going out of this. I have no problem with that. I had I had two two your your uh, your very good points there made me think of two other things. Number one, Beth Phoenix is a badass. That woman sliced her head open on 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 the uh, metal part of the uh, of the new turnbuckles and bled. And yeah, just yeah, she had badass. that red spot in her hair. Yeah, no, she looked awesome. Uh, Beth she, is great. And she did great in there. And I, I really thought they needed to put over on commentary how she had scouted people like Bianca Belair in NXT, and they didn't. I thought that was a missed opportunity for them to really put over put over Beth a little bit harder um, as opposed to the <laughs> – God, it feels like they do this every year where Natty comes out and one of them turns on the other. I just it's, it's yeah they've like, done the Beth and Natty thing a couple few years now here haven't they yeah I'm just like okay I've seen that the other thing and 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 it, it just reminded me your your thing on Santina reminded me of this I am done done D U N Kevin D U N N with the well with a few things now Kevin Dunn <laughs> makes me think of a few things but the referees who don't enforce the rules and let people who are eliminated eliminate other people. The Vader rule, if you will, where you're eliminated and you just climb up and you eliminate somebody else and the referees just allow that to happen. Stop that, please. Oh, but Kevin Dunn missing (laughs) somebody in production, missing edges first spear is unforgivable. Yeah, no, it's a fireable offense. I don't love how much they are having Edge do the spear. Uh, I, I was mildly alarmed when I saw that he delivered that many spears right out the gate. I was expecting, let's say, more downward spirals and fewer spears. Yeah, because that's jarring to the neck, even though you're using your shoulder. Right. Yeah, uh, we'll talk a little bit about that when we get to Raw. Uh, right now, worlds collide. Um, I'll start with your thoughts. What 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 uh, What stood out for you? What did you like? What did you not like? How did it come off to you? I thought Worlds Collide was a pretty good pay per view um, on balance. Here, I was a little surprised with Jordan Devlin defeating Alex or Angel Garza. Uh, like that was that was a bit of a surprise there. And then I thought the main event, considering the kind of change of plans that occurred rather suddenly, it was done pretty well for a bit of on-the-fly booking that those guys had to do, although it did pull out a little bit of the energy. Yeah, I agree. I, I really the, the the Jordan Devlin winning thing uh, popped me because I I love Jordan Devlin. We, lo- yes, we both love yeah, Jordan Devlin. Yeah. I just thought it wasn't time to take it off of Angel Garza just yet. I think there's something with Angel Garza that they haven't tapped into. I don't into. get why they're giving up on him like the same way they gave up on Umberto Carrillo. You have two guys here who are both... I think mid-card stars. I am guessing, I am guessing now that they wanted to do a balanced result sheet and to give a little bit of a rub to NXT UK, and that's yes. the only reason. Yes, I, I think that, I also do think that Garza floundering on commentary might have moved that conversation a little bit. Might have, yeah, he might not be very good. Uh, talking as we think, but his character is so over that you think it would be forgivable. Um, I loved DIY versus Mustache Mountain. 
I thought this was going to be a wonderful match, and I absolutely adored Boy, it. Boy, what what a match that was. That was I adored great. This that, match. that was such a good match. It was one of the um, better tag team matches I've seen in the last few years here. You know, I loved Gargano kind of aping, aping Ciampa with the patting himself on the back spot. I, you know, Mustache Mountain are just fantastic. And Trent Seven's taken a beating all week. He is such a, he is such a, I hate to say this because it sounds weird, but he's such a great guy to get heat on by kicking his ass. I absolutely love watching Seven take damage because he takes so much of it and he just keeps coming back. Tyler Bate, of course, is just fantastic. I love the bip and bop spots. You know, the, this was just great. I, it was everything I wanted it to be. Um, I thought the women's match was a little underwhelming. Uh, the, the, the championship or the one for the NXT women's or NXT championship. It's no longer the women's championship, the Rhea Ripley, Tony storm match. That said, I thought the Mia Yim Kaylee Ray one on the pre-show was quite good and quite brutal and awesome. And they really pulled out the spots. If you, if you didn't watch the pre-show match, go back and watch that. Cause that's, that's, that's worth a lot. I thought Mia Yim and Kaylee Ray almost killed themselves in that match. I, Mia Yim has been, Having better matches lately than I think the kind of general consensus on her is. Uh, but they tend to be on lower profiles. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, but I'm with you, too, on Rhea Ripley versus Tony Storm. Something missing in that. I, I'm not I'm not really sure what it is. It's hard to kind of put my finger on it. But The like, crowd wasn't rabid for yes, it? Yes, that's definitely part of it. Is the, the crowd was not dialed in, and that was hurting them. But I, I didn't think, think the work I don't think was they there expected, either. I, I think they were ahead of everybody and didn't expect a title change. And Tony Storm hadn't really been built to the point where you thought she might take the title. Yes. So I think they were just kind of waiting on it. Um, kind of shortened to the point. I, it, it's kind of weird. Um, yeah, I was going to go back to Riddle and the Rumble, but we can get to that when we get to NXT. Um, yeah, so, th- so that was Worlds Collide. I thought it was... I don't like this. I got to be honest with you. I would much rather they do a takeover because this felt like it felt like a show that would be good on paper, but because it's of no importance, the crowd would not be rabid for it. And I think takeovers have a certain level of stakes to it that you want on, on a weekend like this to, to get us hyped throughout the weekend. And I just don't think Worlds Collide does that. I liked this card, though. Yeah. I mean, on balance, this card really over-delivered. I, oh, I, I know. Just, what, yeah. no, they needed to, I thought they needed to call an audible in the main event. I think they okay. needed to say... What would be the other audible you would have called? Um, elimination match. Okay. Interesting. Have Regal come out and announce, all right, in the wake of this, this is now an elimination match, and we have it come down to maybe Adam Cole versus Walter here at the end. Or yeah, maybe or Walter taking Walter, on all three of them. Like yeah, they were. Walter taking on all three. Yeah, they eliminate uh, yeah, Eichner and Bartel next. And yeah, it's all because, the Undisputed Era. Because, and this is old school me talking, but you might feel the same way. If a guy is out and is and he's going for the pin and the referee breaks up the pin because the guy is out, I just, I can't, it it, it lost me for the rest of the match. I got to be honest with you. I they enjoyed had a the hard rest of the time match. finding their foothold with it because also the power dynamic stuff. I think they eventually settled in on Walter working from underneath. Yeah. But because WWE is so dependent on planned spots and guys in the ring, understandably so, are 
uh, reticent to go against the scripting of the match, uh, but like you're far less likely to have audibles called, especially on a high-profile show like that. I think you need the people in the back to say, "Hey, guys, you know, work around this." And oh, by the way, kind of quick reset here. Have Regal come out. Ref can give everyone else in the ring the directions and make the match an elimination match. I think you're right. Well, we hear all the time that the referees are supposed to call it as a shoot, and Drake is a, is is the pros pro in there, and I get that he's trying to protect everything about that. But if the guy is out and the referee breaks it up because the guy is out, that just, that just, I don't, I I can't get my mind around watching the rest of this match. It really just takes me out of the storytelling, to be honest with you. Yes, it had a hard time getting me fully back in. I had points where I was back in the match, but I did find myself kind of going in and out for the duration of the match after you had Wolf get knocked out. Yeah, and that was a shame because I I thought Wolf was probably primed to do some cool things in that match. And everybody. I think this match was probably primed to be really hot in the same way that the tag team match between Gargano and Ciampa and Mustache Mountain was. I, I just think it was hard to regain that momentum with Wolf going down. Yeah, I, I agree. And But I thought Eichner looked great. I thought Bartel looked great, too. I thought, and everybody in the Undisputed Era is awesome. So, I mean, it was a fun match, but it was just a little I loved Kyle O'Reilly working against Walter. <laughs> More of that, please. Yeah, he's yeah, just trying to kick down the tree. Loved it. Um, yeah. Uh, so, for Raw, I guess the... Uh, the thing coming out of that, everybody's talking about the Orton Edge angle. Uh, your thoughts? I think it's a good WrestleMania angle. They need stuff on the WrestleMania card that feels like a WrestleMania match. Orton versus Edge feels like that. I'm interested to see how good of a match those two can turn in. Orton has not necessarily been working his ass off over the last couple of years here. Edge has not been working at all. So, uh, you know, that's going to be the question is, like, what's the work going to be like? But I like the angle. I didn't like the story of the angle. I just don't understand it, to be honest with you. Um, They might be able to pull it out next week when (laughs) you know what's going to happen next week. The opening promo is going to be, everybody's asking, why, Randy? Why? Why did you do this? Um, We'll see if they come up with an explanation. I just thought after the Rumble... And after that promo that Randy was starting to cut in there, I need I need a little bit more to see that kind of a beating. And I loved, uh, trust me, I loved the trying to pilmanize the neck and the concerto stuff. I loved that it was vicious. I loved that it was kind of, for lack of a better term, it was Randy taking his time and doing it. I just think sadism. And that kind of hate, you you need to have. I need to I need to be able to know why he's that that angry at a guy. I think it can be as simple as him just wanting to be a legend killer. Still, okay. No, that's actually not bad. It was it's one of those things where you know it, it's uh, Glenn Rubenstein who's a friend of the show, and also he does the recaps over on Wrestling Inc. Took a lot of heat on Twitter for basically. And he has a good point. He's like saying, well, why don't we just use Edge's popularity to put over a young guy? And there was another thing kind of up to my point about Randy and the whole angle. And, and it's just, look, if this were 1985 and you brought a legend back for one last run. Oh, that's what it was. It, it's that Edge is getting too much offense in. For his, and you're just like, uh, okay. Um, 
you know, the one last run thing is a very famous wrestling trope. And then the the legend in undoubtedly looks up at the lights and puts over a young guy and the young guy has made a star. Wrestling's no longer like that. WWE recycles legends far too much for them to have any value anymore. I mean, the number of times we've seen Foley and Austin and The Rock. I mean, look at the way that they use The Undertaker with yes. Brock Lesnar and the fact that The Undertaker has not been allowed to ride off into the sunset. And then they use The Undertaker again with Roman Reigns. Like, they, this company does not have that narrative discipline with legends. I agree with you. In kind of the way I would book this company, you'd have Edge working with a heel this WrestleMania, and you'd have Randy Orton working with a babyface this WrestleMania, and those WrestleMania matches would be used to put over those young guys to help build them as stars for the next year here. I get that WWE is kind of also now doing this super showdown circuit, and for those types of shows, um, which I think they sort of think of WrestleMania a little bit like that, they like to have nostalgia matches. And so Randy Orton and Edge fits into the vein of nostalgia matches that WWE is into to say, hey, we're having this match. Can you believe that this is happening? Rather than, can you believe what you're seeing on your TV screen right now? Oh, God, I just had a scary thought. It's not going to happen, but 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 hear me out. You remember last year's build for the Super Showdown, how it was equal to greater than or equal to WrestleMania? What if they just blew off Orton and Edge and in Saudi Arabia? They could. I don't know that they'll blow it off in Saudi Arabia, but like that is the type of match that they would use in Saudi Arabia. Totally. Yeah. That's uh Oh, Hogan's gonna be appearing. Oh, isn't that great? Yeah, the the, the Saudi Arabia thing has reared its ugly head again, so we have to build up big matches for that. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's just gonna be. Pl- I, I think yeah, you know, do- there's the political problems with the Saudi Arabia shows, but beyond those, Jeff, there's just the narrative problems. These shows oh, suck, just, and they make, they, they make the show worse as they try to Vince, book them. G- Vince gonna Vince. He's gonna go in there. He's gonna give them, uh, you know, a half-assed show like he does with like the UK audiences when he does tapings there. They're basically just placeholders for the actual story is going to be given to the American fans for WrestleMania. Nothing's nothing big. I mean, you know, you may get like a minor title change, like a tag team title change or something like that. But other, other than that, this is going to be such a, I wish these shows were good enough that I could feel conflicted about them. (laughs) No, I don't think that'll ever be a problem for you. No, I I don't think so. I don't (laughs) given your feelings on the subject. Um, yeah, so anything else on Raw that you wanted to hit on? I don't think so. I, I, think I hit I kinda... the Becky stuff. Yeah, we hit the Becky stuff. The Seth stuff. Rollins stuff is okay, I think. You know, it's okay. Okay, okay is, is where I'm at with it. It's it's not it's not good. He's he's just not particularly interesting as this, but all the support characters are good that it's hard to really hate it. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's hard to really hate Buddy Murphy and the Authors of Pain. Oh, I love everybody in this in this angle. I mean, I love Joe and Kevin. It's just every week they come out and every week they do their best John Moxley impression and go out there and fight four guys against two. And you know, yeah, it's, it's the the writing of this is uninspired, and, and a lot of that is the writing for Seth Rollins is uninspired. Oh yeah, yeah, I, I would agree there. Uh, SmackDown just complete the uh, the main roster. Looks like it's gonna be Aunt Pam and Naomi, as we said. Uh, 
Yeah, I'm I'm good with that. I, I thought I thought for sure out of the three women's singles title matches, the least important is going to be the SmackDown one. Anyway, you go with this. Uh, if they decide to put it in the elimination chamber, I'm good with that too. This Bailey character continues to just be womp womp and hard to really kind of put a finger on. Yeah, I, I'm I'm getting there. I'm not quite there yet. I'm holding out hope. Hold <laughs> out a little bit of hope. I even uh, thought her attacking Naomi lacked a certain mm, level of heat. I'm I'm interested to see what they do with Bailey and Sasha if Sasha is able and cleared to return. Because she's hurt again, which is a shame. Because I could see them putting Bailey and Sasha in some sort of multi-tag match to you know make that Oscar Kyrie thing worth it. Because Oscar's just been Oscar's been awesome on this entire run. Let's let's not mince words. She's doing yeoman's work with everything, and they're just they're just gonna keep her in this tag team division that they're doing nothing with right now. But they keep promising the women they're gonna make it important. Um, yeah, if, I just, if Sasha's hurt, then I think at this point, Bailey needs to be a hard cheater and Sasha should be out there helping Bailey cheat every opportunity. And she just needs to be the cheat to win heel. Well, she can't, she can't do anything if she's not cleared that that's the she thing. Can't she can't even be ringside. She can't be ringside. Okay. So that that's an issue. So that, and that's a little bit why Bailey's kind of floundering a little bit up there. Cause I think. I think what really makes this character is the interaction with Sasha and, and trying hard to trying hard to please Sasha and get her approval. Because I think that's almost, part of the problem with this character is that yeah. this Bailey character is entirely dependent on being a foil to the other character who is the dominant one. Braun Strowman gets his first singles title. <laughs> he gets the workers title, the Intercontinental title. Um, yeah, you thought it was going to be the universal title at a major pay-per-view, but no, sir. We finally built him up, and he defeated the mid-card champion on a SmackDown. Yeah, um, I, I love this. Uh, <laughs> what, are we, what, what, what was the name of the Sheamus Del Rio stable a few years ago with uh, Rusev and uh, Wade Barrett? Was it like the United Nations? Yeah, I was thinking it was United Nations, but that's I think not it, it was the United the League of Nations. <laughs> yes, it was a Woodrow it, Wilson. No, type I of- think it actually was the League of Nations, Jeff. Let's, I'm, let's see if I'm, I can find. Yeah, this I, I'm pretty sure they were the League of Nations because that's what the Zane Cesaro uh, stable is reminding me of. Hold on, let's see what it's called. League of Nations. You're correct. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they love their Wilsonian democracy. <laughs> the WWE. <laughs> I, it, I, it was flummoxing at the time. Oh, God. It was, it was so. It was, Bad it was, News it was, Barrett, Alberto Del Rio, Sheamus, and Rusev. And Rusev. I, was like, I knew there was a fourth one that I was missing. Yeah. <laughs> then they all started turning on each other. And you're just like, what? <laughs> Well, they're all international, so they should all be together. Kind of like world elite. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I don't... I think Intercontinental title, because it's been so devalued over the years, is fine for him. It gives him something to do. It makes him feel somewhat used. Because it's really... 
when you look at it, it's just Rusev's or not Rusev, but um, Braun Strowman, Braun has, Strowman been has been moved down to the Rusev level. He's just been out there to yell, I'm going to get these hands and go out there and do his three spots and get out of there. And we know this guy can do more. We, yeah. We've seen him have longer form matches. The guy has a deeper move set than that. I just, I mean, I think they've underused him, and it's it's a shame that after being at one point paired with Brock Lesnar, that never resulted in a heat transfer. So we're talking about him defeating Shinsuke Nakamura on a SmackDown as being a somewhat positive move in this guy's career this far in. I'm gonna have to recircle again back to Brock and Keith Lee during NXT. Remind me. Sure. Um, <laughs> Let's uh, let's do NXT UK and then uh, hit all the goodness that was NXT. But NXT UK wasn't wasn't no slouch either. No, I liked NXT UK. What what NXT UK featured this week was a number of quality mid card enhancement matches where you like look at the participants. Like for example, Isla Dawn and Nina Samuels. You go, okay, I've seen this match before. It's not a great match. I would never get that excited for it. And then Nina Samuels turns in a pretty solid performance. Yeah, uh, in losing. Yeah, in losing. Right. No, but I thought she actually showed off a nice little like cavalcade of moves. She can what, go. What hurt, this, what hurt this was they were putting over uh, uh, the new talent that I can't remember her name of, uh, the Valkyrie. Oh, yeah, that's right. And I, I felt like that kind of was shoehorned quickly. In that show. It, it feels like they wanted to talk a lot about that, so they didn't have to talk about somebody like Jazzy, who's no longer with the company. Oh, um. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, you you need to heat up this Valkyrie character quickly. Yeah. Um, yeah, this was okay. I don't like Isla Dawn's new look, personally, but that's aesthetics to me. Yeah, no, um, no, I, I, I'm with you. I, I, I can certainly understand. Like, I mean, Isla Dawn doesn't get me super excited or anything like that, but I, I just thought that that was a better-than-expected match, kind of the same way that I thought that Birch and Lorcan versus The Hunt was pretty good for what it was. It could have even this, been better, yeah. Give me this every week. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, it's right. just hard-hitting. Sure, sure, our boys The Hunt lost, and we stand The Hunt here. Um Birch and Lorkin are 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 great. They they put Oni Lorkin back on two oh five live again this week as well, and they're it looks like they're gonna be using Birch over on NXT. So they're gonna be kind of going from place to place doing their thing. They're they're a good solid hard hitting team that I will always enjoy watching. And the hunt, you know, the hunts are a good, solid, hard hitting team that I will always enjoy watching. I I love you know, I love this kind of build and, you know, okay, we're going to make this tag team division look competitive top down. So I, I was fine with this. This was nice. Yeah, this was nice. Same way I felt about Tyson Tebow and Ridge Holland. Short to the point. I enjoy all the striking, though. I like it. Yes. I I thought there should have been more striking, as a matter of fact. I, yeah. I wanted Tyson Tebow to not even wrestle. That that's always my it, that's always my problem with Tyson T Bone is he wants to wrestle too much when he has like slacks on and it's like, yeah no, no I just see him brawler. to punch and strike and strike yes. maybe the occasional body slam to set up an elbow drop or something like that but he does not need to be doing a bunch of moves you know the the fundamental body slam the fundamental suplex occasionally sure. Okay, but no, I really enjoyed this. I thought that this was a nice way to advance Ridge Holland more. And yeah, I love the Tyson T-Bone enhancement match. This was a really nice enhancement match show, which normally you wouldn't say that, but these are all really watchable and fun to watch. I think they need to put the rocket on this Ridge Holland kid. I agree. I agree. No, build, I, build I him up to have a match with Walter. He's ready. Yeah. He has a look. 
you have him kill the coffee brothers and you put him against Walter and you have him lose that first time, or you put him over. I don't, I don't care either way. Um, he might be the guy you want to put over Walter as a, as a homebred guy. Yeah, I, I and I'm I'm really into Ridge Holland's music. Yeah, I like Ridge Holland's music. Yeah, I can't put my finger on what it sounds like to me, but it, it's different than everybody else's. It's not a. It doesn't come off as a wrestling theme to me. I kind of like along similar lines. I like Eddie Dennis's music. I think that, that kind of comes off with like a little bit of a different energy. I kind of like the Welsh, uh, how'd the Welsh Dragon come off for you this week. I like him more in the suit. Uh, yeah, and I even liked him showing the brutal spot, but I didn't love the promo. Yeah, it was a little... And I think he needed to kind of cut down Trent Seven a little bit more and letting Trent kind of get the better of him on the mic. I think this is a situation where Dennis needed to really kind of be pushing Seven around a little bit. Yeah, because Seven was awesome. Seven came out and fired up that crowd. I loved it. I was like, yeah, go get him, Trent. Right, right, right. And so after he gets the crowd fired up, that's where I think Dennis needs to kind of come back over in a forceful way. And I do kind of worry when they're both on the stick that Dennis is just going to get outshined by Seven because Dennis is Dennis has a good look. He has a good amount of menace, but something is missing with, with this style of promo. I like yeah, him a, a little, little more angry, a little more slow and methodical. Yeah, I don't. I don't want him being uh, Kaiser Soze. I, I don't want him being the brainy heel. I want him to be the heel with the chip on his shoulder, as opposed to the mastermind. Masterminds are guys that you want. Like Ginny is a mastermind heel because she's slighter than most of the other women in there. And so if she gets somebody like a Jazzy to do her dirty work, then it comes off great. Eddie Dennis to me has that size thing where he should be powerful and smart but also have the chip on his shoulder and so he should if he has a sadistic streak like i'm hurting trent seven to hurt all of you the fans because you love this guy so much and i feel like making the fans watch that spot over and again that is really the reason you do that you do that to hurt the fans you guys love trent seven i'm gonna keep showing me tossing him like a sack into the barricade in Tyler Bate over yes. and over again. Does that hurt you? Look at the kid. Go like, does that hurt you? Do you like him? He, you like seeing that? Yeah, he's a hurt person and hurt people hurt people. And I think that that's the way you go with him. Yeah, I agree. I thought NXT was an outstanding show. Still lost in the ratings to the hotter AEW, but I don't think wrestling is ever going to be popular anymore i think you're just basically going for the same million and a half to two million yeah how are we people. going to split up the 1.5 to 2 million people on a week-to-week basis seems to be more like what we're looking at now yeah um but a lot of good stuff the nxt people of course should be getting a bit of a rub from from the rumble um as i alluded to earlier i thought brock lesnar and his reactions to keith lee coming out made Keith Lee seem 
like such a bigger deal, even though he was a big deal already. When when he's mouthing, who the F is this guy? And look at this big MFer. And Keith Lee just has that kind of knowing smirk coming in. Yeah, I he's unintimidated awesome. by Brock Lesnar. No, I, I thought that that was a very elevating moment for Keith Lee. I, I, to that point, though, I think him and Lesnar could have even had longer and more sustaining interactions. I think that's probably the one misusage of Brock Lesnar in that rumble is that he didn't really have like a super long competitive scrap with anybody. He was They were so busy trying to run up the numbers with him. Um, and then even when they moved him out, like there's just no one he really built up. But I think Keith Lee is probably the best one or the best example. Yeah, and they did a uh, three way f- for um, for his for his, for to be contender for his title uh, between every other big guy they have in there. <laughs> um, Dijakovic, uh, uh, Damian Priest, and who was the third? Um, this week on NXT, it was just Dijakovic and Damian oh, Priest. I thought it was a three-way for some reason. It was not. Know. No, no, it was just a, it, it was a good uh, singles match. I enjoyed it. Yeah, um, Damian Priest has a great voice and terrible material. I just, I, I hated this promo that no, he did. No, his character sucks, dude. Like, yeah, he has a great voice. He has a great look. He's good in the ring. But the character makes no sense. And also, the stuff about I just take women and stuff, that you want to talk about problematic language. It's up there with Santina. I would have been fine with the problematic language if they had stuck to his week one his week one intro when they did that video with him doing the badass voiceover as kind of being the party boy of New York and Prince of the City type thing. I have no problem with him being a party boy. The way he was talking about taking women, like he gets what he wants, even from women. Like that's I it's a beat too far for me generational thing I'm I'm just so numb by it by people by wrestlers saying that over the years but I, I understand your uh I mean the year's 2020 now it starts with the two I get it no it's totally fine in like 91 it, it's I like I and I get booking a heel character like that especially especially if you have a heel character like that and they have a Female manager who the fans kind of like, like a Miss Elizabeth or whatever. You know, you, you pick your other kind of female manager who, who has a fan attachment and you have this bad guy who talks about, you know, getting women whenever he wants and treating women like objects. But there's going to be no comeuppance for this. So it's just Point Damian made. Priest talking about it. No, no, you're, you're, you're right on that. I, 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 will, I will concede. Um, one little thing I will. Ooh, tremor. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> we have earthquakes in California. Um, wow. That threw me off a bit. Uh, the one little thing that Dijakovic does that I absolutely love that is a problem in modern wrestling is the staring at the ref during the three count thing. Dijakovic rarely does it. I love that he's, he either has his eyes closed or his eyes are away from the referee every time. I know you you probably don't have an opinion on that. It's just one of those weird things I notice when watching matches. Because, like, Okada will just stare at a ref and kick out at two. I, I hadn't even really thought about it. It's it's not something that I, I think about too heavily. But, yeah, that makes sense. I, I can, yeah. I, uh, now I will see it, and I won't be able to not see it. Feast your eyes. No. (laughs) (laughs) Still talking Uh, in wrestling catchphrases today, Hawkins. I'm sorry. Matt Riddle. He was doing it before the show. He's doing it on the show. It's my curse. (laughs) Yeah, I accidentally did the uh, Eli Drake. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) And I didn't even realize I had done it. Um, 
So your Dusty Classic winners are the broserweights of Matt Riddle and Pete Dunne. Matt Riddle during the Rumble. Oh, jeez. This, this was just stupid. Uh, he comes in, gives one guy a knee, and then gets thrown out by Baron Corbin. There was that report from uh, Pro Wrestling Sheet, so grain of salt here, that there was a confrontation between Brock Lesnar and Matt Riddle backstage where Lesnar told him to stop tagging him because they were never going to work together. I tend not to believe it because I don't think Brock Lesnar looks at his own personal. Brock Lesnar carrying has a burner. He has a right wing burner and Paul Heyman does the marketing on. his. Yeah. If anything, if anything, yeah. Lesnar has a right wing burner, but I just can't imagine this guy giving that much of a shit one way or another about tagging. Exactly. I could, I could see this being a fed story that Heyman came up with because he really likes Riddle and he should like Riddle and everybody should love Matt Riddle. And that clock's ticking, man. I mean, he is, he is what? 30. He's old. He's like, I thought he was like older thirties, but he might not be. Let me take a look at his age. Um, the dusty classic itself. I, I found the match underwhelming. I like I it. Too. A takeover. This not a great dusty classic. And this 34. is normally something that, you and I look forward to every year. I, th- this has been disappointing. He's 34? Yeah. Wow. Is that older or younger than you thought? That is older than I thought. Okay. I had him more in his like upper to mid-20s. I didn't realize like we're about the same age. Yeah, no, he had done a lot in, in the UFC before coming into wrestling. Yeah, it's um, true. Yeah, sure. I think the commercial breaks killed it a lot. And I also think, I, I think that's sa- part of it for sure. And the full sale crowd did not buy into the stakes of this. They didn't buy into the grizzled young veterans winning at any point. I don't think the picture picture commercial break thing is really hurting the shows because what happens, and this is my effect is if I sort of instinctually anticipate that we're going to be throwing to a commercial mid match, it makes me not care about the first part of that match. And then we hit the commercial, and you go picture in picture. But I'm not paying attention to that because you're hitting me with some like, you know, insurance commercial or something like that, and I just mentally am tuned out. Also, now the picture is like put at an angle, and I have to watch my TV like the WWE wrestlers watch TV. Only I'm watching it dead on. It's a very weird sort of feeling. Same thing with AEW, where they put it at like that weird, slightly angled yeah. position, and it's small. It. it is an unwatchable sort of experience. Like you would have to put your TV on mute and kind of like just squint and focus at the other little window in the screen to really have any sort of engagement with the match. And that's going to be a less than experience than if you were just watching the match straight up. I, the picture in picture thing, I get why they're doing it. I get why advertisers want it, but it is very bad for the watchability of the product and for getting invested in matches. Right. No, I, my, my problem with it is I need that kind of psychic break from a match for a few minutes or just to be able to reset and go to the next match. When I'm trying to watch, I think you're exactly right here. I can't watch this match, not have commentary and have flow from progressive, just blabbing in my ear 
about car insurance. I need, I need, there's nothing happening on the screen. I'm getting annoyed by this commercial. I probably want to go grab a snack or go to the restroom of some kind. And I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there because I want to be able to watch the entire match in case they do something cool and they rarely ever do. It, it's just, I don't understand it. I would much rather they tape a show and cut around commercials than show it live and me having to watch it, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, it just, it killed the flow for me. It didn't feel as important as it should have. Um, the match itself though was pretty darn good. I loved that doomsday device spot. Oh my Drake God. Dived that, out. Jeez. That spot was crazy. That was a it great was spot. insane. They were doing these kicks and these knees that were just insane. I thought the grizzled young vets, I had the grizzled young vets before every match in front of that full sale crowd need to just run down Americans. Yes. And no, the I, I think they need to be cutting Get promos all the time. Yes. And it, that it, cheap Zach heat. Gibson, Zach Gibson, honestly, the music should hit and he should come out on the microphone and be cutting a promo on the I way down the to the music. ring. Yes. You, you hipsters, you, you ironic wrestling fans who come here to watch your your little kickboxing buddy matt riddle you know all that stuff give it to me because i because that match it, it zach gibson is a guy who cuts a promo that makes you want to watch him get his butt kicked and that is the mark of any great heel and he, i yeah, love no, him. he's awesome i i think I think there's an argument for grizzled young veterans winning the cup and not the Broser Whites. I agree. Yeah, I, I think I, that they could have used that because they're such strong heels and such a strong heel tag team. And somebody brought up a good point that since this thing is for an NXT tag title match at TakeOver, it ruins the point because the grizzled young vets already beat the Undisputed Era and probably should have a tag title match waiting for them in some point. You know, having the Undisputed Era in the Dusty Cup and then making it for their titles, a, t- a shot at their titles is kind of, no, you, you kind of want the, you know, if you're going to make the tag team titles part of the tournament, they need to go to the winner. Other, otherwise, it's it's kind of, it's kind of, well, why are you keeping the best team out of the, out of the, out of the match? You know, it, I, I just, I didn't like that part of it at all. Um, but the match itself was, was, was fine and they worked hard at it. It's just the excitement of previous dusty cup yeah and the prestige was not of there. previous yeah. dusty cup tournaments wasn't there it, it's a and it's hard to do thing. that with cody with cody being, being on the other on the other show i yes. borrow not having the Rhodes brothers hurts for sure my favorite comeback was i i kind of i kind of gr- winced at the line Dusty's DNA is all over this tournament. And a guy wrote me back. My friend, uh, Greg writes me back and goes, no, nah, it's literally on the other show right now. <laughs> I think they should clean it up. Uh, I think that's Morrow messy. Saying, that's not good for ring sanitation. And Morrow saying they're a team of Dustiny. I just, I, I almost broke my television. I really dig it. That's, that's a pun beneath you, Morrow. Um, but yeah, that's the Dusty Cup for this year. All the matches I thought were fairly solid. There wasn't a clunker in the bunch, um, including those with with the uh, Forgotten Sons, which was surprising as well. So, yeah, but it's going to be an utterly forgettable tournament, I think, unless unless something magical happens at this takeover between the Broserweights. I'm kind of I'm iffy on it. 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I They seem to really like the Broserweights as a team. I, I could see them wanting to break down this undisputed era prophecy they've, sooner they've rather found, than later. They found the entertainment in it. They found the serious, wacky guy dynamic that, that, that makes for good TV. Yeah, and those good guys can cop. go in the ring, too. Yeah. Beat done. I'm a cop who plays by the rules. I'm a guy who on the edge. And here comes here comes his waggity schmaggity partner coming in. <laughs> yeah, they're they're uh they're great and uh please more promos from them because they're awesome. Yeah, no, um, they're really Riddle and Dunn clearly enjoy working with each other on the microphone and that makes for just a really fun and watchable experience and Riddle's having a lot of fun doing these promos. Do I have one match left or two? I know I have the women's match. What else was on here? On this show? Uh, yeah. We got Tegan Knox and Dakota Kai. You want to get to that? That's what I'm thinking of. What? What? Is there anything else? Yeah, Shotzi Blackheart last? defeating oh. Deanna Perrazzo. Um, I'm... I, I get I'm that baffled. People, I, like, people like Shotzi Blackheart. It's... I, I get the gimmick. I, I get the gimmick. People like the tank. Um, she's got green hair and Billie Eilish is popular right now. And people like green hair right now. Um, I, I kind of, I kind of get it, but the work isn't there. Yeah. And she's a character. Um, I am wondering what the heck is going on with this Chelsea green Deanna Perrazzo tandem in the, in the hearts and minds of the WWE right now, because it seemed like they were signed because they were hot commodities on the women's circuit that could have been signed by AEW. And then Caden Carter defeats Chelsea Green this week, which I was baffled by. So Caden yeah. Carter's been on this losing streak, and it, you know, like that's been kind of the narrative. We're going to build her up, and we thought we were, she, she was going to get some sort of big, meaningful victory. She finally does get her first victory, but... There was no promo from Caden Carter leading into this. There was nothing to make us emotionally attached to Caden Carter leading into this. Um, it no. almost felt like she defeated Chelsea Green as part of Chelsea Green's story rather than part of her own story. But then that wasn't particularly clear on commentary either. We don't understand really the dynamic between Green and Robert Stone. Um, I, I'm very baffled by Chelsea Green and also to a lesser extent, Deanna Parasso. Chelsea Green... What if you tuned into NXT after watching the Rumble? Chelsea Green was the goofball who came in and got eliminated quickly in the Rumble. So she and she and she got eliminated quickly in the uh, yeah and everywhere. And it, it's and now she gets pinned by Caden someone Carter, who we, by Caden Carter, who is even narratively on an upswing from the lower tier. If the goal she's is Aaron one, Stevens right now, she's he, the Aaron, yeah, yeah, Aaron Chelsea Stevens Green, yeah, 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 absolutely. And Deanna Perrazzo, I don't know if I, I can't make the comments I want to make about Deanna Perrazzo. I can't because it's sexist, and I don't want to do it. But I hope she's okay because <laughs> it looks like it looks like she's kind of given up, and I don't like saying that but she wasn't terribly enthused in this match i thought she, she looked better than blackheart i thought her clothes oh, no, she looked, yeah her she no, looked her better than blackheart way better than blackheart's and i think that's part of the point it's she has much better technique and she has to go through the motions to make shotzi blackheart look good um shotzi's 
Shotzi can have good matches. Don't get me wrong. Just, I Dude, just. Dude, that Centon looked like crap. I'm, I, I'm, it's so difficult for me to go into criticizing female wrestlers. I, I just can't. Well, I, I'm just often. talking about a move here. Like, yeah. if if a man had done that senton with that level of flatness and lack of verticality, I would say that looked like crap, too. It's just a crappy-looking senton. Shotzi Blackheart was one half of one of the worst matches I've ever seen live, so that kind of puts a stink on her for me. But also, I loved her in that Evolve match where she basically was diving into chairs, and that's what got her signed into uh, to WWE pretty much in Evolve. So you know, I appreciate that she's probably got a good pain threshold and she's a bit of a daredevil, but that doesn't necessarily make for a good match. I agree, but again, they don't... There's a certain WWE mindset, not NXT, that characters matter that matter more than having good matches. So I understand the thought process. I just, I, I just are, are, are we going to make Chelsea green and Deanna Perrazzo born again, hard again, or, you know, hardcore and, and, you know, now Robert Stone's going to focus them in some ways. I mean, or, or is it just going to be one of these where Robert Stone's just there to talk a little bit and then Chelsea green's there to lose and they do nothing with the Perrazzo thing. That's kind of where I think this is going. It's just I agree. Yeah, it's weird because you would come up with a character like Robert Stone to make that character a bit of a mover and shaker over the next five to six months, and it's hard to see how they can do that with the Undisputed Era running the men's division and unless you're going to dethrone Rhea Ripley, and one is hard-pressed to look at Chelsea Green or Deanna Peraza right now as credible threats to Rhea Ripley. It's, you know what it is? It's it's those three weeks that they gave Sin Cara, the female luchadora, to, to, fight, uh, to fight Andrade. I believe and, she uh, was actually called the luchadora. <laughs> I'm not even making that up. It's, it's like the League of Nations. It sounds really stupid, but I think that's right. <laughs> oh, there we go. I forgot our news segment up top, so I'll just do it now. Andrade suspended for 90 days. Little interesting. Um, or 60 days. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't know. That, or maybe it's even 30. But basically a wellness violation. I I don't know. I, I, I find... Uh, you know, you hang out with a flair, you're going to do a little bit of partying. I don't know if it was PED. They haven't announced what, what it was that he failed for. It's just uh, after after listening to the Arn podcast and listening to the sometimes don't bust you for your last drug test, but the drug test before it, and they just wait for an opportune time. I, I'm, I'm always skeptical of why now they, they, they give somebody a drug failure. Um but it's, they hard to, it's hard to not look at these drug failures as sort of political because uh, you and I were chatting before the show about something else. But I'm actually kind of reminded of that, the sense that like there's such selective enforcement on that that it makes the rule kind of pointless. Yeah, you get three years of nobody failing and then all of a sudden a few people fail. And it's never really anybody. I mean, it's always kind of like, well, why'd you fail them now? And like, why doesn't Randy Orton ever fail? Yeah. yeah, there's there's just a lot of different things. And Charlotte looks like she would probably not pass. Yeah, I'm not gonna. Yeah, but yes. Uh, 
So they did this story with Umberto Carrillo always losing, and then he, <laughs> he knocks out Andrade for, for the time it will take for him to come back. But yeah, you had Andrade, you had Bobby Roode. It's just, it's just weird, suspicious timing to me sometimes. Um, and the other big thing coming out, um, pr- pretty deadly signed with NXT UK. No, uh, but that, that yes! did happen. Uh, I'm actually, <laughs> uh, those guys are another great enhancement team. You need, you need pretty boys who can get ragdolled around. And I love that these guys are willing to do love it. Them. Yep. Love them as they are. And they're just great flakes. NXT ne- UK never turn has a face. sneaky good roster. It's actually good from top to bottom between Walter, Rich Holland, The Hunt, Lorkin and Birch, Imperium, even little guys like Pretty Deadly. Travis Banks. Yeah, there's a lot of really good talent on that roster. Um, And coming out last night before I went to bed, the the Revival have rejected $700,000 a year contracts to stay with WWE. Um, They... The feeling is, or at least their public position is, they want to get out of there, but more money could be used as leverage, and uh, you never know. But yeah, I could totally see them just holding out for a million to do Gooberak stuff. I could, too. Hey, it pays for the second house, and there are ATVs, and the kids' education, and maybe there's a kid who wants to go Ivy League. I mean, yeah, you, you can pay for private school with a little bit more money. I mean, the uh, the OC got 700 apiece. Let's see if we can get a little bit more because we're better. Or I could I could see them having the mindset that, hey, we want to be wrestlers. We want to go to AEW. We want to go to ROH. We want to go to New Japan. So either way. Yeah. For, for my television screen, I hope that they choose to be wrestlers and have good matches. Same. Same. That's, that's my general feeling. And then now we'll get to the final match, possibly my favorite match on any show, non-Royal Rumble, non-Worlds Collide. I loved almost everything about this Tegan Knox Dakota Kai match. I did, Chris. I, I know it's going to sound odd, except for the ending, except for the storytelling again. And this will wrap it up in a nice bow of Candice LeRae hitting, hitting or taking a chair away so that Tegan Knox can hit Dakota Kai with the brace. This I love the thing with Candice LeRae where she comes yes. out and like tries to be the conscience of a person. And I think what's weird about this is it didn't backfire. Like it, there are ways to do this. Yeah. There are ways to do this and we'll get into this. But Tia Knox came down and she wasn't smiling and happy and doing the hang loose signs. She was mad and she was coming down for a fight. And I love this. And then instead of Dakota Kai's video that they play for her entrance they played her turning on tegan and the team that used to be her entrance video all the time yes that always seems to be she needs to look at that every time she comes out and like get power from that moment and then dakota comes down and she's got her her awesome angry face on and they just come down bell rings screw your lock up we're gonna be punching each other f Yes, I was fist pumping on this one because I'm just like, holy God, they got a blood feud correct. They were kicking each other in the face. They were they were looking to kick kill each other, and I was here for it. Then you get to the end, and look, I am fine with Tegan Knox hitting and getting revenge with the knee brace. Get Candace out of there. Have Tegan get caught trying to use the brace or something like that, and then have Tegan use it to one up 
And I'm fine with that because this is a blood feud and you're allowed to do the baby faces are allowed to not act like baby faces. If it's a fight. Yeah. yeah. If, Especially if commentary then puts over, yes. you know, Dakota Kai really had this coming. She really brought out a different side in Tegan Knox. She, yes. she crossed the line first. I mean, that this really does of, need to be the talking yes, point you, here. Yes. You put over in that. This is out of character for how Tegan normally acts and it's personal with her, but it's out of character why, because Dakota Kai crossed Cross the line. You have to always yes. be justifying the baby face's actions here. You you are dead right on that. Yes. To have Candace then come out and be the distraction for the baby face, that's heel that's heel stuff, Chris. Yes, just, no, it, it it was I didn't like I'm like, why is Candace here? Why? If she's gonna if she's gonna take away the chair, just take away the chair and leave. And just say, nope, this is a fight. This is between you two and leave. That's a baby. That's how you do it as a baby face move. And you can do that too. I, 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 I mean, even have Candace come out and thwart Dakota Kai from cheating on some did. level. Yeah. With the chair. Remember, yeah, yeah, she yeah, took yeah, it okay, away. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. But then there was this weird thing where she was also, you know, she uh, did she throw the, the brace to. D- yes, to, she handed the brace yes. to Tegan Knox to encourage her to cheat. And that's yes. the bridge too far here. That's not, yeah, that's the bridge too far for me. It's a great, but man, this was everything I want in every blood feud. And if you can make these things blood feuds, you just start with a vicious beating and you go from there and you have these people fight. I. This was enough for me to forgive what they did with the D- Dakota Kai in the stupid. <laughs> In the stupid Royal Rumble where Chelsea Green just eliminates her. This was great. I, I loved this. This was my favorite thing all week, I think. Yeah. No, I, I like this a lot. Uh, I mean, it just goes back to that Royal Rumble. You brought that up. You just have to kind of disregard so much of the storytelling of the Royal Rumble. And I hate that. I, no, I, I hate, hate it. No, I, it's it's the complete opposite way I think the Royal Rumble should work. The Royal Rumble should be like a tag team tournament. Anytime you have... A big tournament, a, a thing where all of these wrestlers get assembled, that should start up and catalyze feuds for the next several months. That's why you should have these interactions. Yeah. Um, well, we've gone on long enough. You can follow me at Crap Game 13. You can follow Chris at Chris Novembrino. Follow the show itself at Shake Them Ropes. Next week, Chris, our big XFL preview. Oh, man, I cannot wait. XFL, <laughs> um, I, I'm excited about all the teams, the uh, Northampton Dinguses, uh, the Westchester <laughs> Who's That's. I, the North Haverbrook Monorails. Yeah, yeah, all, yeah, all of them. Yeah, no, uh, the Joey Jojo Shabadoos of East Georgia. <laughs> Joey Jojo. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Interesting. Um, is is All in the Family going to be back? Soon? All in the Family is back. We actually taped four episodes last weekend, so I've got to get okay. those out. I was, that- I was interested, and I'll tell you why I was interested in that, because uh, Fred Silverman, who was a producer for them, died this week. Oh, okay. All right. I mean, it's, it's amazing to me that Norman Lear's still with us, too. And he yeah. still occasionally does interviews and stuff. And then over on Don't Worry About the Government... Part one and part two of Radio Bernie, a podcast I have been working on for the last month with over 60 different clips of Bernie Sanders' media career and media appearances from 2007 all the way through 2020 here, um, will be out on Don'tWorry.tv, so subscribe. I spent a lot of time on this one. Yes, but again, you have... Eight teams worth of XFL to break down. Yeah, it's true. No, again, we're, we'll be talking about the East JoJo Shabadoos, uh, East Georgia JoJo Shabadoos uh, next week here on the show. <laughs>